read the scripture, Joshua chapter 23. The title of the message is, How Shall We Then Live? Part 3. So what what we're doing now is we're filling God's house with God's word. And uh, this is the only place where you will hear it corporately read. I'm going to read verse 1 if you could read the even verses. The years passed and the Lord had given the people of Israel rest from all their enemies. Joshua, who was now very old, and you've seen everything the Lord your God has done for you during my lifetime. The Lord your God has fought for you against your enemies. This land will be yours, for the Lord your God will himself drive out all the people living there now, and you will take possession of the land just as the Lord your God promised you. And make sure you don't associate with the other people still remaining in the land. Do not even mention the names of their gods, much less swear by them or serve them or worship them. Thank you. Well done. You may be seated. Father, thank you again that we're here. Thank you for everybody watching online. And as we turn our attention to your word, your life-giving word, may it speak to us, may it build us up, may it inspire us and equip us and Correct us, and may we be transformed by it as we, we grow in the, in the knowledge of God. And Father, I pray that you teach us how our lives can matter, how they can count, and that we would leave here knowing afresh that our God is an awesome God. And everyone agreed saying? Amen. So how shall then we live part three? Like, how do you stay on course? Anybody wonder that? How how do you stay on course? Uh, How do you finish well? Joshua is at the end of his life here. And in the book of Exodus, God raised up Moses, the greatest of all time, to lead the children of Israel uh, out from under the bondage of uh, of the Pharaoh there. And Joshua was Moses' assistant uh, through the wilderness, 40 years there, kind of an apprentice Uh, being mentored by the great Moses there. Well, Moses couldn't lead the children of Israel into the promised land, so it was Joshua that would do that. And he helped navigate the children of Israel through all of the major conquests of the promised land there. And Joshua was faithful to do everything that God asked him to do here. He faithfully discharged everything over the long haul that God had asked him to do. Well, now he's saying goodbye. Now it's over, and this is his final farewell message. And when you have someone like Joshua, who's such a a generational leader, a generational military leader, a great spiritual leader, a, a hero of the people here, and you're hearing his very last words by someone who was used so mightily by God, you want to lean into what he has to say here. So now this is his last lecture, his last address uh, and I want to say this, that what he's going to say is not necessarily new. There's not really new content here. But if God repeats himself, there's a reason that he repeats himself. There's a reason that you need to hear what is being said, because it's intentional in the mind of God to have it repeated there. And that's going to happen here this morning. So in this last lecture, in this final farewell, he's given us wise words. He's going to give us things that we need to avoid, uh, traps that we need to avoid here. So let's look together at Joshua chapter 23, verse 1 on the screen here. And it says this, the years have passed. Well, how many years have passed? Probably a good 20 years have passed since the children of Israel went into the promised land. And the Lord had given the people of Israel rest from all their enemies. Joshua, who was now 
very old. We're going to talk about that here. So the children of Israel, they now have been in the promised land about at least 20 years. And so Joshua stands out to us as an example of long obedience in the same direction. 20 years there, but 40 years in the wilderness, you know, another seven when they arrived. So at least 60 years, he's been obedient before God. So it says here that the Lord gave them rest from all their enemies. In other words, the big battles were over. The big uh, enemies had been defeated there. But there were things to clean up still in the promised land. And so there were still little skirmishes and all going on. The years have passed. It says that Joshua was now very old. So his time on earth was almost over. He's got one last opportunity to speak. So when somebody has one last opportunity, you want to lean into what they have to say here. This is his last stand here. Joshua knows then that my time has come. This is my time to declare the final priorities essential to the life of God's people. His impending death propels him then to pronounce his concerns, his cautions, his final charges. So he's going to give them marching orders here on how to relate to God, but also pitfalls to avoid. How to live the new life in the new land. So who's he talking to? Verse 2. Joshua called together then all the elders and leaders, the judges, and the officers of Israel, and said to them, I am now a very old man. I don't know about you, but I just kind of find that endearing in that uh, we live in a culture where everybody kind of wants to be younger in America here. And Joshua's like this. Hey, man, I'm straight up a very old dude. And I've been around the block a lot of times here, and that's what you need to know. And I'm not making any apologies for it. And, uh, and I think it's good to remember here what he's going to say, and that is in the next verse here, that is the Lord your God who's fought for you. I think what can happen, though, with people, what happened then is that there was a subtle, uh, slow slide into compromise of God's people here. And so uh, where you can think the same today, like I'm a self-made person, if you knew all the things that I've done and how hard I've worked and this and that. And, uh, and you got to realize, though, that every good and perfect gift is from God. And everything about you is a gift from God. So you really can't take credit for any of it. And you have to remember that when it comes to like victories in your life and success in your life, that it's the Lord your God who's fought for you against your enemies. Put that up for me again here. It is the Lord your God okay, who has fought for you uh, against your enemies. And so... Uh, the children of Israel then, they're involved in the battle, and they played a part in the battle. And on one hand, they were important uh, and significant in the battle, but it was the Lord that secured the battle. So if I could give this illustration here, that say we're going to have a pickup basketball game, like after church, and I challenge you, I'm challenging all of you to a pickup basketball game. In fact, the second service is going to join in too. It's going to be all of you against me, and, uh, and I got this guy I invited to join me, and this is him right here, LeBron James. It's going to be LeBron and me against you in the second service here. And so we're going to do a little pickup basketball game. And, uh, uh, and I'm playing with LeBron. And LeBron's going to go for like 70 points. And I might, I might throw in two. I'm just dishing to LeBron the whole game here. And, uh, but the stat sheet's going to be crazy about LeBron, LeBron, 70 rebounds, 70 points. 
uh, one assist to me. And, uh, but the point is this, is that uh, I'm going to win the game on the coattail of LeBron. Doesn't have anything to do with the speaker this morning, but it is the greatness of LeBron. And our victories are about the greatness of Jesus, not us. It's about, I was on Le- Team LeBron, we're on Team Jesus, and that's why we get the victory there. And so we need to recognize that, that, uh, that it is the Lord. So it says here in uh, the next verse, you have seen everything the Lord your God has done for you. Now imagine this, that in this chapter, remember what I said, God repeats himself? God repeated himself 12 times, the Lord your God. The Lord is your God. He's, not, he's a personal God. He's not just a God out there in the cosmos there. He's your God. He's my God. He's a personal God. He's a God that you can draw near to. So 12 times so that you don't miss it, he is the Lord, but he's your God here. And you're victorious because of what he has done for you as LeBron secured the victory for me. So in a similar way in the Christian life, here's what's true. We're victorious because of the finished work of Christ on the cross, right? You know that because of his sinless death, because he died, because he rose again, the resurrection. And our victory then is tied to his victory. And so, uh, and in this case here, the application is primarily the Lord your God has fought for you. And so, uh, uh, and in our case, the Lord has fought for us. Uh, he helps, he gives us the power to overcome sin, to overcome uh, the, the world there. And so it is God's work, it is God's battle. And so it goes on to say here, you've seen everything the Lord your God has done for you. And so uh, they'd seen the stuff that God had done here. And so they'd seen God at work in incredibly powerful ways. For example, they saw the walled city of Jericho come crashing down. They'd seen the Red Sea parted. They'd seen the Jordan River parted. They'd seen the victories at Ai and Gilgal. They'd seen what God had done here. And so they'd seen the big battles that were done, but there was still work to do. There were still skirmishes to do. And, uh, and I believe that the application for us is this, is that Jesus has done a work. It is a finished work. The finished work on the cross where Jesus broke the power of sin and death over everyone's life. But when you put your faith and trust in Jesus, uh, you still have responsibility for how you live. There are little skirmishes, you know, to clean up. Like uh, the big battles were won there, but the children of Israel, they still had little skirmishes to clean up there. And so uh, by that, I mean, we are the same there. It's your responsibility when you jump online and you look at something that is irresponsible for you to continue and inappropriate for you to continue to look like, and the Holy Spirit begins to like press on you a little bit. No, you don't have, that's not what I have for you. I've got something else for you, but not that. Then you have a responsibility in that moment that you do something about it because the power of the sin nature, though it's been broken, you have the opportunity to make choices that you want. So Jesus said, it is on the cross, it's finished, but you're walking out your responsibility. Is, it's partially your responsibility there. God has done what he can do. He's given you his power, but there's a responsibility on your end. So verse four says this, I've allotted to you as your homeland, all the land of the nations yet unconquered, as well as the land of those we've already conquered from those geographical areas. The land will be yours 
For the Lord your God will himself drive out all the people living there now. You'll take possessions of the land just as the Lord your God has promised you. So there they are. They're standing on the land that the Lord has driven out the enemy. and They've got the victory there. And so he's saying, like, look, you have the land. There's the evidence of it that you've taken possession of the land. But there still remains, there still remains battles to fight. And it says here again, the Lord your God has promised you. Again, a personal, the Lord your God has promised you. He's a promise-keeping God, and he is your God. It's, it's, uh, it's incredibly intimate and personable, uh, the God that we have there, and that we walk with him, a promise-keeping God. So now let's look at verse 6. It says, then, be very careful. In other words, like, hey, I'm going to die. So, like, don't miss what I'm going to say. Be very careful to follow everything Moses wrote in the book of instruction. In other words, God's word, the word of God there. And so, uh, if you will, then he says he recognizes that it's easy to drift. And the people are, are prophetically, he's saying this, they are going to drift. He recognizes they're going to get distracted. They're going to lose focus. Their relationships are going to go absolutely sideways. So he says, look, don't deviate. Don't deviate from God's word. In other words, what you need to do in the Christian life, what they needed to do is keep leaning into, as a way of life and lifestyle, what God has said. And how do we deviate? Here's how we deviate. It says, turning then to the right or to the left. And so walking with God then is, is visualized and is seen as a path way that you would walk on. The Bible says there in Psalm 1, blessed are those who walk not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor walk in the way of sinners. Uh, so they don't go in that path, uh, but they, they walk in a different path. The Bible says he wants to make your path straight. So God doesn't want them or us continually veering off the path, right and left, being distracted by uh, the issues of the culture and sin there, but to stay on this path here of obedience, a course that God would have for your life here. Jesus said, look, if you follow me, you'll obey my command. Like you'll, you'll stay on like the path that I have for your life. And so how shall we then live? How do you survive? How do you thrive? How do you finish well? Here it is, number one, is you got to live God's word. You got to follow God's word. You got to stick to scripture. Remember, I said that what I'm going to say, it's not new. It's not new content, but it's content that God realized like we need to hear again. Now, why is this? Why do we need in that culture and in our culture, why do we need to do this? Think about it, okay? That you're about your mind here. The Bible says to renew your mind. Why do you need to renew your mind? Because your mind then needs to be saturated with what God has said, to be, to, be, uh, um, to, to be saturated with Scripture and to memorize Scripture. By the way, I think some of the ladies at Sanctuary are memorizing Scripture. Is that true, ladies? Is that true? Got about maybe 90 women that are memorizing a large portion of Colossians there. I see my wife with her little Colossians. What are you doing? She says, I'm memorizing Colossians. She says, okay, great. And so... So you're hiding the word of God in your heart there. And how critical it is when you live in a, in a culture 
that I believe is pushing false narratives uh, in a more intense way than ever in my lifetime anyway. And how do you know truth? And how do you resist assimilation there if you don't know what God has said? And you're not renewing your mind. So that's where the first thing here that needs to happen is you live God's word. Now look at verse 7. And make sure here you don't associate. Now he's talking about your relational world, okay, with other people still remaining in the, in the land. What is he talking about? This is what he's talking about. Don't even mention the names of this idolatrous culture here, the names of their gods. He says, much less swear by them. Watch the progression, just mentioning them. Okay, then you're, then you're, you're using them a little bit more. Then you're, you're swearing by them. You're making mention then of the name of their gods. And ultimately, you're serving and worshiping them. So says, look here. Uh, and he's saying, there are people in the culture, even though you're in the promised land, that they don't believe in God. They don't believe the God of the Bible. They don't know God. Uh, they don't, they're not committed to him. That's the re- our reality. You're around people all the time. They, they don't know God. They don't love God. They're not committed to God here. And so, uh, so you need to be careful about your relationships. You need to be careful about your associations. In that, in that uh, uh, he's saying to them, Joshua, you, you can't go down that road because all around you, there are alternative gods and you are going to be, you're going to be tempted to lean into some level of relationship with those alternative gods. That's what happened. They were eventually kicked out of the land because of that there. And so Jesus said in the Ten Commandments, hey, written by the finger of God here, I'm, or the scripture says, I am the Lord your God and have no other gods before you. It was a problem then, and friends, I'm telling you, it's a problem today, and it's a problem with you. It's a problem with me. And here's what we do. Here's an immense problem, because here's what we do. What we do is we elevate other things, other things to be like the supreme object of our affection there and our allegiance other than God. And we do that, the Bible, people have said that our hearts are idol-producing machines there. So then you can become conformed to whatever that idol is. For example, if you worship pleasure, then what you're going to do is you're going to do everything you can to seek pleasure there, to find things to acquire that you can be about pleasure all the time. It begins to progressively consume your life, and then you become like your God that is just one of consuming pleasure there. And so God knows this. God knows that if you worship anything other than him, and your heart is going after lesser things then, then you will live a life lesser than what you were created for. And it happens today, all day, every day, everywhere around you. And so, uh, so I've been to different cultures like India, and you see the idols are everywhere. It's it's really gross and overwhelming. But in America, there's just as many idols. It's just uh, they're, they're more subtle. And so what happens today, and Satan's very smart, and so he's not going like, to just throw out some god out there that you're going to go after. But what you do then in a very subtle way is you take good things. You take good things and you try to make them the most important things in your life other than Jesus. So people can do that with their kids. They idolize their kids 
uh, uh, not just loving them, but become idol, I, they become idols to them. You can do that to your spouse, where your spouse is not just good, but can become an idol there. You know another way that men uh, do this? Is men do this providing for their families. I have done this. I have done this. I have made this an idol, providing for my family. And that, and that uh, you think, like, hey, I'm doing a good thing here. And then it becomes so absolutely consuming that it's like false worship there. You become a workaholic uh, in the whole thing there. And so anything that competes for your allegiance above Jesus becomes a problem. And that's what he's talking about there. It could be, it could be your sports team. It could be your hobbies there. Uh, and so we have to ask ourselves, Lord, is there anything in my life there that I'm elevating above you? the affections of my heart and my, my allegiance that I'm doing that, that I'm not having you first in my life here. And so Joshua tells him, hey, there's things, people, that you, you can't really associate with because of what's going to happen to you if you do. And I'm going to unpack that a little bit more here. And so uh, he says, look, you can't survive by mixing with them in such a way that you're going to take up the things that they take up. You're going to take up the things of their gods there. And so uh, I would tell my kids all the time, hey, show me your friends and I will show you your future. And I would tell them all the time. I would quote to them all the time. I would say, look, they that walk with wise will be wise, but the companion of fools will suffer much harm. You hang with knuckleheads, and you're going to suffer suffer much harm. Over and over and over again there. And so that's in a way what, what Joshua was saying to them. If you hang with those people in the land, you are going to suffer. And so anyway, so how shall then we live? Well, we live God's word, what he's talking about, you have to stand, you have to take a stand against ungodly influences. The wisdom of the great general distilled to its irreducible minimum, you've got to be able to stand. You have to be willing to, to make a choice to stand against ungodly influences in the culture. Joshua explains to them and warns them not to get mixed up with these people that are steeped in idolatry there. And so, uh, and again, the same as the idols in our life, things that we idolize, it's true of them, it's true of us. And so, in us, I, I said, uh, following the gods of our culture. Them, it was the gods of the Canaanites. For us, the, it's the gods of our culture. So, how do we do that? How do you stand against that? Well, that's verse 8. Rather, here's what you do. Rather, here's what you do. He says, cling tightly to the Lord your God as you have until now. Cling tightly to the Lord your God. We talked about that. Again, I told you, he's reminding them. It's not new content, but there would be to be no gaps between them and Yahweh. That They would be glued to God, that they would be intimate with God, that there would be no space developing between them and God. Cling tightly to the Lord your God. And so, uh, with us today, Jesus talked about abiding in Christ. He said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Abide in me, and you will have life here. Make sure that this is the, the disposition of your life. And then reading verse 9, For the Lord your God has driven out before you, has driven out before you, the great and the powerful nations, you thought it was you. 
You thought it was maybe your military strategy. You thought it was your strength. No, it was the Lord that drove them out, uh, and, his, and, the, and you defeated them because of the Lord. So Joshua tells him, hey, that was God. You thought it was you, but that was God. And God promised to go before them. God promised to rout the enemy. The Canaanites, think about it. The Canaanites, they're more powerful. There were giants in the land. They had greater weapons. They had greater numbers. They were, they were experts at war. And yet God's people went undefeated there. So God gave them the decisive victory because it was God. And so the question for us is this. It's not just a little history here, friends. The question for us is this. It says, what are you facing? Like what Canaanites, if you will, in your life are you facing? What are you facing in your life that you need this dynamic to be true in your life, that it would be the Lord because it's too much for you, it's too overwhelming for you, you can't do the battle, that you need the Lord then to battle for you as he did for the children of Israel, to drive out and to defeat your enemy. What is defeating you this morning? And so a little homework assignment to apply after we're done. Now watch this, verse 10. Each one of you will put to flight a thousand of the enemy. So he's saying that, hey, an Israelite can chase a thousand of the enemy because God is the one that is with him. How, how can this be? How can this be? Well, here it is. I have a little diagram that one is greater than a thousand. I mean, could that be true in your life? It could. Like, I gave the illustration of the pickup basketball game. All it would take for me, like me against you, I would get creamed. But throw LeBron, throw LeBron on my team, now you're going to get creamed. And the whole thing is, has nothing to do about the speaker this morning, has everything to do about who I'm partnered with. And that's what they're talking about here, is that you can put to flight a thousand because of who you're partnered with, the Lord of Lords and King of Kings, the infinite one who's infinitely greater than LeBron, and he's on your team. And so there you have it, that, uh, uh, that you plus God is always a majority wherever you go. Always a majority. You need to, to never forget that, that uh, as the angel of the Lord said to Gideon, you are a man whom God is with. And because of that, you'll defeat your enemy and he did. So now Joshua, in his last lecture, Joshua in his final farewell address has some concerns. And one of those concerns was that the people would grow cold. They would go grow cold in their heart for their God. His concern was they would start coasting. His concern was they, that they would even reach a place where, because of the idolatrous culture, that they would begin to neglect God. So what does he say to them? He says, here's what you need to do. Be very careful to love the Lord your God. Live it out. Live out God's word. There are evil influences you need to stand against. But the third one here is love. Love the Lord your God. So without a doubt, central to staying the course, central is to love God with the totality of your being. And so, again, God repeats this because we need to hear this. When is the last time, I would ask you, you've taken inventory of anything that's competing with your love for God? 
And so Joshua sends a strong warning that above all, they got to utmost love God. That's more important than anything else. The relationship that mattered most in their lives was their relationship with God. And so why the words of concern? Could it be that we, like them, these things were written for us, that there are things both within us, pulling within us, and the culture outside of us then can draw us away from that love? Is that possible? Yes, it is. So how do you keep a love for God burning in your heart? How, how, do, you, how do you do that? David declared this. He said, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. He said, create in me a clean heart and renew a, a right spirit within me. Recognize it. my spirit is so bad. God, could you renew a right spirit within me? So David exemplifies it. Hey, you, you, have, you go back to God. And so uh, David understood that. How do you keep your love for God burning there? And so I believe that you got to ask God. Go to God and say, Lord Jesus, um, would you do within me what only you can do? Would you go where only you could go? Would you stir within me a fresh passion for you by the working of your spirit? Uh, Lord, would you, would you instill within me a a fresh love, a greater capacity to love, uh, fan the flame of, uh, of our desire, my desire for you, that my heart, uh, my heart would be for you, that I would want to draw near to you. God, would you do this? So you must decide then that you're going to love God. So Joshua tells us that we've got to take care of our hearts here. Number three, to live the word, watch against ungodly influences, but number three is to love God. So this week, I had a bit of a moment, a bit of a moment where I felt God leaning in on me. And what happened was, is I was getting gas at the gas station and, uh, in Redlands, and um, there's so many homeless people. And they hang out at the gas station and... I think like every time I go to the gas station, it's one or two people will ask me uh, for money. And so historically, I would, if I had something uh, to give them, I would give them. But what happened on Thursday is that I was coming out of the store and, uh, and I saw somebody that, that was, that was uh, going to ask um, panhandling. And I, and I walked, and I was like, I just said, I don't know, I just, I, I had a, a, a moment of, just was struggling. And, uh, and I walked by them, and I just, I just, I kind of was, I was, ta- I felt tapped out. And they asked me, and I walked by them. And as I walked by them, I felt God saying, your heart is wrong. And I felt that I needed to do business, and I'm just aware of that. I don't know where that, I know where it needs to end up, not where it's been, but it's fresh for me. And so, but it was a heart, I recognize, it was a heart issue. And so, um, that's what it's talking about here, is that our hearts can just become hardened and calloused, like that was a reflection of my heart. 
And so he's saying here, you can turn away from God. The consequences are severe, verse 12. If you turn away from him and you cling to the wrong stuff, the idols, the relationships, customs of the survivors of the nations, watch, and you intermarry with them. What's that all about? What's the deal about intermarriage? Like, uh, and so uh, this is what happened, that followers of God would marry non-followers and compromise would happen. That's what happened with Solomon, like the great Solomon. And so Solomon intermarried. Before you knew it, uh, that was dominating in his life there. So the children of Israel then, they were doing the same thing here. And soon they would go off in apostasy there, and they would leave God. They would fall away there. And so because there was this outside influence, it was so powerful uh, of the spouses that they had that it diminished then uh, their relationship with God so that they would leave that relationship there. So I just want to say a few things. Like, what does that have to do with us? What does that happen, happen you know, 35 37 years ago, what does it happen to have to do with us? This is what it has to do with us. So if I could talk to the ladies here for a moment, uh, because I have seen this so many times, where I'm talking about younger gals who are not married, and a guy comes around. A guy comes around here, uh, and so basically because they're really into the girl. And I went to church, not because I cared anything about God, but because I was really into the girl. Uh, that's it. I, I didn't care about church. I could have cared less. I could have cared less about anything that had to do with church. I cared about the girl, and that's why I went to church. So I speak from experience here. So and he, he may get a Bible. He may play church. Now, I didn't do that. I didn't play church. I, 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 was, I was real about it. But anyway, and she might think, wow, like, you know, he's really, he's like super cute. Like he pays attention to me, and uh, he seems really nice, and like, and he's coming to church and all, and uh, and he's just kind of playing the game, and it happens so often then, and then they get married, and then he doesn't want to have anything to do with church because the game's on, he wants to watch the game or whatever, and now she's heartbroken uh, because of this this. Scenario that unfolded, it's an oft-repeated, well-worn scenario. So I'm just saying to any of the gals that are in dating age to be careful and be wise and because uh, there's a lot of jokers out there. They're going to play the part so they can get your, your hand in marriage. And after that, the white gloves come off and you see the real person. So you need to test them, elongate the relationship, find out what's made, what they're made of, Find out if their heart is really for God. And if it's not, then throw their rear in the canyon, but don't marry them. You know where that came from is my dad used to, he, my sister would date girls that he didn't let, like. And he would say, I want to throw that guy's rear in the canyon. And it just came back. Anyway, so I want to say number two, what does it have to do with us? This is what it has to do with us is that there are men. So I talked to a young guy. Now I'm going to lean on the men. And here's how I want to lean on the guys. There's a lot of women that are married to men. And here's the reality. Here's the reality in American church. Is that the men spiritually are kind of dwarfed by their spouse. And so spiritually, they're lagging behind. Spiritually, they are, they're nowhere near their wives. And so where you have a wife that's following God with all her heart, who's hungry for God, and you, you can have a, a, a man that has just different degrees of a spiritual pulse, but it's nothing like the pulsating heart that a, a beautiful woman has uh, this heart for God. 
So if you're a follower of Jesus, and this is what I'm going to say, if God has blessed you with, with a daughter, his daughter, and she's beautiful, and she's amazing, she has a heart for God, and there you are, and you're at home when she's at church and bringing the kids on her own, and there you are lagging behind, and God never designed the relationship to be that way. He designed you to be fully on for him. And if you're here, you're watching online, perhaps you need to, to get a life with God and get a spiritual life here because there's, there's nothing worse than a woman that comes to church with a husband that is so far lagging behind, uh, dragging his feet spiritually there uh, and behind her. And, uh, and she has it right. And you have it wrong. And you need to be more like her and pray the prayer that we were talking about, that God would stir your heart and you would step up and you would be a man. You would be a spiritual man. And, uh, and God designed that the woman and the man, that they would be a, a team together there. And God wants couples that not just with the woman that's lagging light years ahead of her husband there, but they would be strong in the Lord together. Now, I get it that there are seasons of life, and I'm not talking about seasons of life, seasons of spiritual life where one is, you know, out there and the other's dragging. I'm not, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about over time where there's a long-established pattern where the husband is just holding back and refusing to, to step up and to step into his God-ordained, God-given, that's why you're on earth, uh, uh, destiny to be a, a man of God for her. So I just want to challenge you about that, to be who you were created by God to be. And so uh, I'm running out of time here, so I'm going to uh, ask the worship team to come up, and I will continue with the rest, and I have lots more to say. <laughs> All right, so just, just a thought, guys, just a thought, just a thought. If you would stand to your feet, I know I like to pray for us. And so, Lord, um, if you could still our hearts and quiet our minds and cause the eyes of our affection to be steadfast upon you. Lord, And we would recognize that we need you, that from the depth of our being, our heart would cry out, I need you, and Lord, I need you. Perhaps you're here and you're saying, you know, I would love to be right with God. I would love to be accepted by God. I would love to have my sins forgiven. I've made all sorts of mistakes, and I would really love to know God, as you were talking about, and walk with God, and, and, uh, and step in that direction. And here's what I would tell you, that you just have to put your trust in Jesus. And so with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, perhaps you've been going your own way, and you want to you wanna surrender. Maybe you've like said yes, but you're not surrendered. Uh, I want to say this to you, that you are accepted by God, just as you are. Jesus said, Come to me. Come to me, all you who are laboring and wiped out and weary, and I'll give you rest. But you've got to come to me. And Jesus today wants you to come to him. If you say, yeah, you know what? 
That sounds great. That's what I want. That's what I want. I want to come to Christ. Well, I want to, I want to pray with you. And the only thing that keeps you from this prayer and knowing God and being his child and stepping into your future in him is that you don't want him in your life. So if that's you, if that's you, and you're saying yes in your heart, I want to lead you in a prayer. I want to lead you in a prayer. And just repeat this in your heart. Father, thank you for your amazing grace and your love that knows, knows no bounds. And Father, today I receive Christ. I receive forgiveness of sin. And I ask you to be my Lord, my Savior, that I could walk with you. If you're a man here, and to any degree, those watching on, to any degree, uh, that was you described. I want, I want to ask you to, to pray this prayer in your heart. And Father, make me what I'm not. Make me what I'm not by your grace. Stir in me a heart for you. Lord, give me a desire for you, a passion for you, that I might live for you all the days of my life. Do in me what only you can do. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.